Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. I'm your host, Rebecca Cressman, and you know, the month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I'm so uh, pleased that we have a month that helps us kind of put in focus and spotlight our mental health, because I'm just going to say, I don't think we've done a very good job over the decades and in history, and luckily, we have resources in our community that can guide us and help us, like the Huntsman Mental Health Institute. So today, we're going to talk to licensed clinical social worker, Jessica Holzbauer. She's also the program manager at uh, HMMI's uh, Child and Adolescent Day Treatments Program. So very important. Jessica, thank you for being here today. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yes, let's talk about it. How important from your perspective as a therapist for, is it for us to have a month where we learn more and maybe change our perspectives about mental health? Oh, I, I couldn't be happier. I, I think what we've really seen over the last couple of years is that mental health is just as important as physical health. And I think that's really become more under the spotlight as we have dealt with the aftermath of living through a global pandemic and continue to live through a global pandemic. So I'm, I'm very happy that we are taking this month to really highlight not only symptoms of mental health, but also how to help those that we love. And you said, you know, we need to take a look at it like we do physical health. And in that sense, when I think about our physical health, I think about doing preventative things early to try to help, you know, prevent more challenges down the road. Um, and I also think about seeking help when we're in a crisis. Uh, I, you know, there's a many different things that we do to take care of our mental health that I think that we can learn from with our mental health. So let's talk in general um, about mental health awareness. Where can we go, by the way? We know where to go to get physical health uh, care. Where do we go for mental health care? Well, that's a great question, and I'm really looking forward to talking about some of the preventative work as well. It's something I feel really passionate about. And in our community, we are really fortunate that not only do we, through the University of Utah, but also our partners at IHC and all of our community clinics have integrated mental health services. I think, you know, we have certainly as providers understood that the brain and body are connected, right? And mm -hmm. so uh, we are providing mental health services alongside our physical health services, and then certainly if there's a crisis, you know, occurring um, in an individual's life, we have robust crisis services as well through Safe UT um, and our crisis line as well, which I will never hesitate to plug our crisis line and the great work that they do. Of course, that number is 801-587-3000. 
and you gave 587-3000. That is the crisis line that I think each of us should have in our smartphone, uh, possibly in a magnet on our refrigerator. Uh, but 587-3000, that is the number we can call to be connected to crisis services, correct? Correct. And as a mental health provider, I have used that number in the community when I have observed someone who's having what I think to be a mental health crisis. And so it is for everyone to use. And fortunately, our colleagues on the crisis line can really help determine what level of crisis it is. And so I would much prefer people call and and maybe they're wrong to not call at all. I like that. So in other words, if we're worried, we just talked to a loved one and they're talking about, you know, that they they just can't get out of bed. They're not feeling good right now. Um, They're very depressive and you're feeling like I'm helpless. How can I, you know, make a difference? Call that crisis line and express and talk about it. You'll be guided through it and then encourage, I'm assuming, that friend of ours, our loved one to call that number as well. Absolutely. Yep. You you nailed it. And the crisis line also can help people um, better locate and understand services in the community. And so maybe the mental health issue doesn't rise to the level of what we would call a crisis. However, our colleagues on the crisis line can certainly help direct the caller to services that might better meet their needs. All right. And that number again is 801-587-3000. You mentioned Safe Utah, and I'm familiar, and I have that app on my phone. But for those who are still learning about it, tell us about the role Safe Utah, that app, plays in mental health. Well, I love the Safe UT app because I primarily work with adolescents and and children. And, you know, I think as any parent knows, kids do not like to talk on the phone. (laughs) They do not. Most of them don't have their voicemail set up. And one of the nice things about Safe UT is that it's also an anonymous text line as well. And we work closely with the University of Utah and HMHI. We manage the, the Safe UT app. And so the individuals responding to the messages or responding to the calls our mental health professionals, and we work closely with schools as well. And so we are able to work directly with schools if there is a child or adolescent in crisis or if there's potentially an unsafe situation. So Safe UT is a, it's an app where individuals can call or, or text to talk with a mental health professional. And, and along with that, we also have the Safe UT NG. NG means National Guard. It's exactly the same format for individuals who are either in the National Guard or are family members of individuals in the National Guard as well. Wonderful. And and so is it a good idea for us to make sure that our children, if they have a smartphone and our adolescents have a smartphone, to yeah. put that safe UT app on their phone in addition to ours? I would rather them have it and never need it then need it and not have it. So absolutely, I, I walk through with every adolescent that I work with how to download the, the app and then register for it as well. Wonderful. Okay. For those who just joined us, this is Jessica Holzbauer. She is a therapist, a licensed clinical social worker with Huntsman Mental Health. She's also the program manager of the Child and Adolescent Day Treatment um, uh, Services there at the center. You mentioned that um, a bit about prevention. Can we talk about, as we have that big conversation about mental health awareness, what can we do in terms of mental health prevention that will help pay off in years to come? 
that's a fantastic question because I think as as a society, we are becoming more aware of mental health issues. I think there's been um, a, a really robust um, call for um, self-care, if you will. And, and I think self-care is extraordinarily important. And I would back it up a couple of steps to the preventative care. And we call it, you know, in mental health, creating a life worth living. And I think what we've seen during the, the pandemic is, are that the things that people would typically do to help kind of sustain themselves, whether it was engaging in their community, whether it was um, attending religious services, whether it was even going to work, right? When those things were not readily available, they contributed to feelings of loneliness and isolation and therefore a deterioration, I think, societally of, of our collective mental health. So when we think about preventative mental health, it's really creating this life worth living that has a richness to it with fostering interest with recognizing both our strengths and our limitations and having meaningful connections with others. I, I think one of the things that's come out of the pandemic is that people have done a really, um, have done some soul searching, if you will. And I would encourage people right now as we are kind of pushing the reset button to really focus in on the activities and communities that sustain us, right, rather than Maybe our energy sucks or or maybe that uh, we kind of dread having to to engage in. Yeah, it, it is truth, too. When you have low energy or you're not you're feeling anxious or you're feeling depressed, it's hard to motivate yourself to engage in those activities, even if it's actually a step towards healing. You know, we talk about this idea ABC, please, is a skill we talk about a lot. And, and the, the A through the C is, is about the prevention, if you will. And, and the A is for accumulating positive experiences. So, you know, when we, we all hit the skids, right, we all have times when we feel down or disconnected. And if we think about really intentionally kind of filling our bucket, if you will, with positive experiences, but then we can recall when we do hit a moment where things are not going so well, it can really sustain us. And so that could even just be the soft mental note of say you're doing something with your family that you really enjoy, just making that note, oh, this is a really positive and, and wonderful experience, I think can help um, us train our brains to collect those experiences. And then also really intentionally doing things that are positive for our well-being. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a visual person, Jessica, as we talk about creating a life worth living, uh, you would identify kind of, here's like a strategy. So I, I think about physical health because we said we need to put it a little bit on par with physical health. So physical health, our doctors are saying exercise, right? Every day and sure. get your annual checkups sure. and eat vegetables and get your vitamins. All those things are, are really important. Keep your heart rate. So it, it feels to me like what you're expressing is that you've learned or we've learned as a society that there are things we put into place that can help increase our mental health overall and it could as, as you mentioned you know in uh, building in activities that bring us joy uh, you know making sure that we keep uh, communicating uh, with people that we trust and love sharing our feelings and emotions um, you know interacting with communities those kind of things that is mental health practice or mental health exercise is, is that the wrong terminology uh, to use though mental health exercise no, no, I, I think that I think that's a fantastic way of thinking about it. And, and certainly we know that the activities that help us keep 
our physical health intact. So regular sleep, eating well, balancing what we what we eat, um, managing our quiet time and our social time are, are things that directly <laughs> impact our mental health as well. You know, it, it's so funny, right? Because we, we somehow have disconnected the neck, right, from, from our bodies. <laughs> and so we, we forget, right, that our brains are connected to the rest of our bodies. And when we're doing things that also are helpful for our bodies, they're helpful for our, our minds, our emotions as well. Great to know. How are we doing when it comes to stigma in, in general? I know that you talk to patients, and in particular children and adolescents and their parents on a day-to-day basis at Huntsman Mental mm-hmm. Health Institute. How are we doing in terms of busting through that stigma that was associated with mental health, that people felt like it was a weakness or an inherent law if if someone uh, in their circle or themselves were dealing with a mental health issue? Well, the ironic thing is that seemingly whenever people do, you know, extend themselves to others or share vulnerably their mental health issue or the issue of someone they love, nearly everyone has had either the same experience or has a loved one who has had a similar experience. And so I, I think Part of it is just normalizing conversation about about mental health, because I think that part of when we don't talk about it, the judgment or the stigma remains so that the blame gets put on the individual. And and we know that depression, for example, is a brain disease. I don't think many people are signing up right or wanting to have depression. And so we we know that this is uh, a, a of true disorder that is happening in the brain. And so I think when, when we're able to talk about, about mental health and those really pragmatic terms, I think people are becoming more and more open to talking about mental health. I think where it gets sticky for people, understandably, is then when it starts to impact their daily functioning and people can often feel embarrassed or inadequate, you know, if someone is not able to say, you know, get up and clean their house, right? Or if someone is not able to uh, show up, right, to hang out with friends, I think that that can become um, embarrassing or even shameful for people. And so again, in the spirit of transparency, I think one of the ways that we help to reduce the stigma is by simply inquiring. You know, so if, if our loved one changes their behavior, rather than thinking, oh gosh, they're just, you know, blowing me off or, ooh, what's going on with them? Really just asking with passion and openness, I think is a way to reduce the, the stigma. I think that um, the younger generation is doing much better with that. I think the rest of us have a little bit um, to catch up to with the, to the younger people. I think you're right on that too. You know, you ask yourself, when was the last time you sent a text to a friend that says, you know, how's your mental health? How are you feeling emotionally? <laughs> right? I don't think many people, right, are going to get that text message and then say, oh, gosh, well, let me tell you all about it, right? I think we still speak in code, right? (laughs) Still having a hard time, you know, uh, uh, those kind of issues. So um, for people to open up, you find that, you know, a text might open up the conversation, um, but, but it's so much easier to express those kind of deep, tender, vulnerable emotions when we're either on the phone or uh, talking face to face. Is that right? Absolutely. And when I think about even physical health issues, right, I think it's a lot easier. Well, I think for some people, it's easier to maybe talk about um, an injury, you know, oh, gosh, I was skiing and X, Y, and Z happened. Because I think that we feel like there's uh, maybe less blame or less personal accountability. I 
unless maybe, you know, you were do, doing something silly skiing. Um, but I think sometimes if it's an, an illness that um, individuals feel that they have caused or they have some accountability for, um, you know, let's say high blood pressure or something, I think sometimes people will feel less open to talking about that. I think the same is true for, for mental health. And so I would say when people are experiencing difficulty, rather than placing judgment or trying to figure out why, really just figuring out how to lift people up and help them be successful with reaching their goals is more important than trying to figure out the why. Oh, that's powerful. So since you are a therapist, can you give us um, a couple examples of the kind of questions we can use that would help us lift someone up and not focus on judgment if we are concerned about someone's mental health or our own? Absolutely. I think the, the first thing, even before asking a question or making a statement, is is just to approach um, the conversation with, with an open mind and a genuine interest in someone's well-being. And with that comes validation. And validation is not agreement. It's really just this, oh, hey, because you are going through X, Y, or Z, I care because I care about you. And so it's, it's really just this radical acceptance of what an individual is going through and and being there with them, I think, first and and foremost. And then I think questions to just open the conversation to further the the dialogue, you know, something along the lines of, oh, wow, I didn't know that was going on. How long have you been experiencing this? Oh, wow. How how is that impacting you day to day? How are you sleeping? Oh, man, how are you doing getting through a day at at work? It's just that, hey, let's open this conversation up without judgment with and ask open-ended questions. Um, I think typically people do not want to jump right to solutions. Everyone knows, right, you should exercise and eat well. No one needs to hear that when they are starting to open up about something going on. I think it's really just listening before problem-solving can really feel the most validating. And, and validation, saying, I hear you, I see you, I'm concerned about you, is helping. Is that right? Absolutely. More so than jumping into problem solving. Yeah. And I think that's instinctual. It's, and it may be just human that there's a problem and our brain starts spinning. All right. How are we going to address this one? What happened and how to fix? And we put that on pause and start just yes. being open. Go ahead. No, 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 absolutely. I mean, no one wants to see their their loved one in pain, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain. And so I think our go-to is absolutely to try to fix. And what I hear time and time again is I just need someone to listen. I just need someone to understand. Very rarely do I hear people say, I just need this to be fixed. Now, there are you know, certainly there are exceptions to that, but I, I think that if people lead with seeking to understand and curiosity they will get much more out of the conversation than jumping in with solutions that may not be welcome. Mm, I love that. And even as you're sharing that, Jessica, I wish almost that um, initially when we were talking about creating a life worth living, that I didn't lean in uh, at uh, forward saying, all right, what can we do? <laughs> because that was my instinct, right? <laughs> what are the steps we should take to try to lower, you know, our risk sure, of a mental sure. health crisis? Because um, that's such a powerful lesson, that idea of just hearing um, what someone is 
is going through and asking them about that moment, that day, and and their feelings and and resonating and and uh, telling them you're sorry they feel that way and letting them know you care. That is true power. We have about seven minutes together still with Jessica Holzbauer. She's fantastic, a licensed clinical social worker at Huntsman Mental Health Institute here in Salt Lake City. Her job also is the program manager of Child and Adolescent Day treatments there. And so even as I bring up that uh, day treatments, can you, um, in the next few minutes, uh, let us know about the types of mental health services that are available at Huntsman Mental Health uh, Institute and, and in our community and what we should be looking for? Absolutely. And, and so when I think about a continuum of, of mental health services, there's outpatient uh, therapy and psychiatric services. And, and I do want to mention um, that I know the wait list to get in with many therapists and psychiatrists um, it can seem um, oppressively long. Please get on the wait list. <laughs> Please do. Things open up. And, and so I would say to anyone who is seeking mental health care, put your name on the wait list and put your name on several wait lists. Um, other people are doing it, so you would not be alone. Um, and so along with that, we have outpatient services for um, all, all ages, including a same-day psychiatry clinic for adults, for individuals who maybe really need to see someone right away. We have same-day appointments. Moving, moving up from that, we have um, day treatment services and intensive outpatient services as well. So day treatment is 40-hour-a-week treatment for children and, and adolescents. And we have uh, an intensive outpatient program for adults who are in recovery that meets in the, in the evening. We have inpatient services for individuals who need a hospitalization to help stabilize their, their mental health. We also have residential services for um, adolescent females as well who need maybe a six or eight week stay um, to help stabilize them. We also have a comprehensive assessment and treatment program for, for kids and adolescents who boy, have just been a conundrum for, for providers um, who, who really need a robust team around them to, to help figure out, you know, what's really going on. And then, of course, in the community, we have our mobile crisis team that can respond, um, and you can contact them through the crisis line, again, 801-587-3000. Our licensed clinical um, mental health providers can come out to someone's home. They can assess them in the community and try to figure out how to keep them safe or get them plugged into the services they need. And again, in the community clinics that both um, the University of Utah operates and IHC operates, there's integrated mental health within those clinics as well. And then, of course, a simple Google search um, for anyone you know who's in private practice or or has another um, business for mental health will bring up a number of, of services in the community as well. You're talking about, and I appreciate you kind of uh, giving us the big picture. Because I hope that for everyone who's listening, you can hear just how common it is for us as a community, as children, as teens, as adults, as seniors, uh, to need some type of mental health service throughout our life. And it might just be a, a, a therapy, a therapeutic session for four months in a row to help treat something we're feeling anxious about. Or uh, a dear loved one, family member of mine sees a psychiatrist on a quarterly basis and refers to it. It's like the mental oil change, making sure everything uh, is on track and, and feeling good and functioning well. Or it could be that someone you love, you or yourself is in a mental health crisis and you need to go into a 
a hospital, as you would in an emergency room situation after a car crash or something, you would go in and then get that support and treatment you need for that short period of time uh, until we can bring uh, that mental health to to a, a better state for you. Just so many different services, Jessica. I'm so appreciative that you would um, share that with us. And so, you know, as we begin to wrap up this conversation, um, I'm wondering, as as we move forward with Mental Health Awareness Month in May, are there things that you are um, advising or you could advise us in to, to think about and to do as we move forward? I think invite the conversation. If you have questions or you are concerned or just notice that that someone in your life seems a little different, just ask. I think sometimes people can be very hesitant to ask because they don't want to offend someone, certainly, right? Or they don't want to they don't want to sound judgmental. But I think even just saying, Hey, I notice I haven't seen you around as, as much. What's going on? I think asking questions, inviting the conversation so that we can remove the stigma and also support people improving their mental health is a fantastic way to start. Oh, I love that. And putting all judgment of why they're experiencing what they are aside and just take care of each other. Jessica Holzbauer, who is a licensed clinical social worker at Huntsman Mental Health Institute and also the program manager of child and adolescent uh, day treatments. I appreciate uh, this conversation. And could you give us one more time the number of the crisis center for us and the name of the app to download? We want to have all of those contacts and apps in our phone as we move forward through the month of May, June, July, and and, and uh, onward. I'd be happy to. The crisis line again is 801-587-3000. And the Safe UT app, where you can text or talk with a mental health professional, is just Safe UT. You can download that from the App Store or Google Play. And then Safe UTNG for National Guard members and their families. And thank you so much, Rebecca. I really appreciate your your time and, and hope that, that people may um, open up conversations. Right, and I appreciate you, Jessica Holzbauer, as we honor Mental Health Awareness Month. And Jessica, if we want more information online, what website should we go to to connect with Huntsman Mental Health Institute? Healthcare.utah.edu. Thanks for joining us for Utah Weekly Forum. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.